1: Hi, this is Marilyn Ball, and you're listening to Speaking of Travel right here on News Radio 570 WWNC 880 and 92.9 The Revolution. And be sure to sign up for the Speaking of Travel Travel Club. There, we're going to have so much fun in 2018. We're going to have lots of. Games and prizes and travel tips and all kinds of fun things. So that's travel dot net, and there's a nice little link you can go right to the sign up sheet for Speaking Of Travel Travel Club. Speaking Of Travel is sponsored by the Asheville Regional Airport, Western North Carolina's gateway to and from the world. And when you fly home, guess what? You're home also sponsored by Appalachian Realty. They've been serving Asheville since 1979. So they've been around for a while. If you're looking for anything that, you know, your little bungalow uh, downtown or you want a nice farm out in the country, AppalachianRealty.com. Well, guess what, folks? Today it wraps up a whole nother year of amazing conversations with some of the most inspiring people brave, fun loving people that I've ever met. I have feel, I feel so privileged right now to wrap up this, this year on speaking of travel and I have come to find out that travel really is the most profound eye-opener I know. When you travel, you get to see new places, people, food, and culture. Mark Twain once said, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do by than by the things that you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore dream discover. And my guest today is someone who would have been an inspiration to good old Mark Twain. Writer, radio personality, speaker, trainer, corporate salesman are all roles that this spiritual being named Larry Perlman has enjoyed while having his human experience. Welcome to the show, Larry. Thank you so much for being here today.
2: Thanks, Marilyn. Very happy to be here.
1: Well, Larry, you have had quite a full life going on here. You have a lot of um, just so many things going on. Give us a little idea about where, where it all started.
2: Well, it started in Brooklyn, New York. And I'm sorry uh, to the speakers that I don't have that real Brooklyn accent, you know, the boys on 33rd Street. But, um, but I moved when I was two over to New Jersey and grew up there. And that's where the travel started, actually, is um, it was interesting for us to talk about the spirit of adventure that Mark Twain talked about. Every year, my dad would take two weeks off, we'd pack the car, we'd get in, and he'd turn around and he'd say, North or South, kids? And we'd head on off to some places we knew not where.
1: <laughs> and your dad didn't know where either?
2: No, had no idea, no, no, no reservations, No, no destination in mind, and... And uh, it was exciting. I mean, we stayed in some real dumps along the way, but um, but we also had some great experiences.
1: And how many people
2: fit in that car? How many people were with you? There were five. It was my brother, my sister, and I, and my parents. And Yeah. Yeah.
1: I love those stories. I hear that a lot. You know, I always like to ask my guests, did you travel when you were a kid? And sometimes people will say, no, we didn't. You know, we'd get in the car and go to grandma's house, and she lived just in the next state. Other times, great adventures, yeah. and you really lucked out.
2: Yeah, it was interesting. We, My parents would have this conversation. They really didn't fight much. They got along very well. But uh, but when we would do these trips and mom would say, you know, it's getting to be 4 or 5 o'clock. Maybe we should get a motel, you know, find a vacancy. And they say, no, let's just go a little further, you know. and And then sometimes that worked out great, and sometimes – We were wandering around at 10 or 11 looking for a motel.
1: Oh, my gosh. What a great story. That must have had some wonderful memories, too, of you know, just the unknown.
2: Yeah, exactly. Walking
1: into the unknown. That was actually very brave of your mother to say, "Okay, honey, I'm going to go with you and do this, taking (laughs) three kids not knowing where we're going. Exactly. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. (laughs) So then how did things progress? You grew up, you were in New Jersey. Would you go to college there? What was going on there? Yeah, I
2: went to Rutgers University in New Jersey, got a degree in electrical engineering. And when I got out, I got a job with uh, General Electric Company. But Um, With all the wonderful traveling we did, it was always north or south, kids, never west. So, uh, you know, when I graduated college, I had never been further west than Philadelphia. And I thought, before I go to work, I may not have another shot like this. So uh, a buddy of mine and I, my best friend Eddie, we took off for six weeks, and we just traveled the country on the super economy tour. You know, every other night we slept in the car, and every other night we would find the cheapest, seediest – Hotel, you can imagine some with bathrooms outside, you know, I mean, it was just but we had a ball and we went across the north northern part of the states uh, down California into Tijuana, of course, because we were, you know, 22 and then back up. And then um, one of the stupider things, I guess, I've ever done in my life, but I was 22. You know, it was we came back across Arizona in July without air conditioning. And we just kept alternating. We'd roll the windows down for a while and then realize we were in a blast furnace. So then we'd roll the windows up and then we were in an oven. But somehow we made it across alive and got back to the U.S. It was actually we left the California the day that the U.S. launched in 1969 to go to the moon. Uh, actually, it was the day they were coming back from the moon. They left the moon the day we left California. They got back to Earth before we got back to New Jersey.
1: <laughs> that is too funny. But what a revelation. I mean, to be to be a part of history that way, that, you know, these guys who had gone up to the moon, you know, a small step for mankind. Yeah. Um, or no, what was it? It was small a step
2: for man for
1: man. Uh, Giant, huge, step giant Step for Mankind. mankind. Yeah. Could be kind of your theme as well, because what you were doing was – that was a pretty huge step, doing that big trip.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of fun and uh, learned a lot of lessons. And then I um – um Went to work for General Electric, and that fit right into the travel mode because back then, that was 1969, and it was when big companies still invested money in new employees. So they had a two-year training program. So during that two years, I got to spend time in California, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, um, Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, New Jersey. They sent me back to New Jersey. So I got to see a good part of the country traveling and having them pay the dime, you know, to get me to new places. So I and, enjoyed that.
1: And being traveling for your work is different exactly. than traveling with your buddy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We got to stay in nice places. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so what was the impact for you as as you were spending those couple of years with General Electric um, getting started in, in your career? Were you thinking that this was your long-term um goal, that you were going to stick with the company, and what were Um, you thinking as a young man?
2: Yeah, actually, I wasn't much one for thinking about the future. I've always been kind of a here-now sort of guy. In fact, it was funny because in General Electric, every year, they would send a man out from headquarters, and he'd sit down with all of us trainees and new hires, and they would go through your one-year plan, your five-year plan, and your 10-year plan. And I never had a one-year plan, a five-year plan, or a 10-year plan. So we'd have this same conversation every year. The guy would say, you know, what's your five-year plan? I'd say, I don't have one. And he'd say, well, don't you want to know where you're going to go in the company? You know, don't you have goals and stuff? And I said, I like doing what I'm doing. I like being, I was a salesman at the time. They called you a sales engineer, because you can't just call somebody a salesman, you know. And... I said, "Yeah, but I like doing what I'm doing." He says, "Yeah, but what about five years from now? Don't you want to get into management?" I said, "I don't know. Ask me five years from now. How would I know?" So um, I just went along. It did become apparent to me, though. My boss came out. It was a guy that sat two seats behind me, and he had a cake, and he and he made this big deal, and he gave Doug his 40 year pin. He had been with GE for 40 years. And the next day, I went in, and he gave me my five year pin. And I realized I was going to turn around and you'd be getting a 40-year pin, and I didn't want that.
1: Wow. Larry Perlman, thank you so much. You're listening to Speaking of Travel. We're here with Larry Perlman.
3: With 50 flights every day to and from cities like Atlanta, Charlotte, and Chicago, you can fly to hundreds of worldwide destinations with one easy connection. Choose Allegiant, American, Delta, or United right here from Asheville Regional Airport. And when you fly home, you're home. Asheville Regional Airport, take the easy way out.
1: People call Asheville home for all different reasons, and they all mean a better quality of living that reflects their very own uniqueness. Whether you're looking for a funky loft in downtown Asheville, an arts and crafts bungalow in a walkable community, or a small farm to create your own artistic legacy, Appalachian Realty Associates will help you find properties as unique as you. Visit them at AppalachianRealty.com or at their welcoming bungalow office on Arlington Street right near downtown. Appalachian Realty, helping people call Asheville home since 1979.
3: Your business trip shouldn't start with a road trip. Hundreds of global destinations are just one connection away. Starting at Asheville Regional Airport, fly Allegiant, American, Delta, and United. Asheville Regional Airport, your local connection to the world. Visit flyavl.com to plan your next trip.
0: As newcomers flock to Asheville over the last 50 years, they join with locals to breathe new energy into the city. Marilyn Ball traces the bonds of community that give rise to Asheville today in her book, The Rise of Asheville, An Exceptional History of Community Building. It's available at Malaprops, Barnes & Noble, Loft on Broadway, and Amazon.com.
2: Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on...
1: Speaking of travel is brought to you by the Asheville Regional Airport. They have frequent daily connections to major international hubs. Asheville Regional Airport is Western North Carolina's gateway to the world. They're served by Allegiant, American, Delta, and United. Asheville Regional Airport, it's a fun place to go just for the heck of it. And if you're looking for a farmhouse or a funky loft or a nice little arts and crafts bungalow, be sure to visit my buddies over at Appalachian Realty. They've got a cute little bungalow right off of Charlotte Street in Asheville. Or you can visit them online at AppalachianRealty.com. And remember, you can listen to Speaking of Travel anywhere, anytime in the whole wide world on your free iHeartRadio app. Well, my guest is Larry Perlman. Larry's been talking about his life adventures starting out, born in Brooklyn, raised in New Jersey. Yeah, what, were you a hippie when you went across country? I mean, how would you even define what that phase of your life was like? Yeah,
2: you would think so. But of course, working for General Electric, you couldn't be too hippie-ish. Um, but on that trip that we went across before I went to work, yeah, I had, um, you know, the hair and and wearing an Eisenhower jacket with the sleeves cut off and peace buttons and all of that kind of stuff. In fact, When we were coming back across the country, my friend Eddie and I, we stopped in um, Dodge City, and we had been driving all night. We got there. It was around 6 in the morning. We went into this little restaurant for breakfast. We sat in a booth, and he looked worse than I did, actually. And everybody else in this place had on jeans, a cowboy hat, a bandana, a checkered shirt, and boots. And they looked at us, and that was, if you remember, uh, in 1969, the song Uneasy Rider. Well, that's what we felt like. And um, the waitress passed us four times, never stopped to ask us anything. Finally, we kind of hauled her down. She said, "Okay, what do you want? We gave her an order. She never wrote anything down, never brought us in, didn't even bring us water. And I said, Daddy, you think we should ask her? He said, let's just leave, you know, because we didn't want to end up. Hung.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, it brings to mind that movie Easy Rider, which, exactly. you know, at that time, I can remember watching that movie and thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, we're doomed here. This is the way that that we're acting out and people are responding, you know, crazy. But let me ask you, Larry, when you came back from that trip and then did you know before you left on that trip that you were going to go settle into your Corporate job at GE?
2: Yeah, I did. And that's why we did it, because we knew that, you know, when are we going to get this chance again to take six weeks off and travel around the country? And so what that led to was when I realized I didn't want to be a GE corporate guy for 40 years. So I quit the company in 1976. And um, what they had done for me, though, by shipping me around was they really gave me a love affair for the United States of America. I just... Loved how diverse the country was. So I said, you know, I'd like to not be a tourist. I want to see different regions and see how people live and what's it like in the south and what's it like in the, you know, all of that sort of thing. And so in 1976, I quit my cushy job with GE. It was the middle of a recession. Uh, Most people that lived then know it's bad news for work. But I thought, you know, I don't care. I'm going to take one or two or three years to travel across the country and end up in the Santa Clara Valley. And it turned out to be one year, ended up in Phoenix Arizona, fell in love with the desert and stayed there for 30 years. Wow. Yeah, but that one year was was wonderful for you travelers out there will relate to this. Um getting not having any plans and saying, well I think I'll start in Atlanta. Not knowing anybody, not having a job, nothing, you know, just going down there. Oh, and the car that I was driving was a 1973 cherry red Corvette convertible. What? So it felt like Route 66, you know, the the show. So you couldn't fit a lot of stuff in there. And it was just so freeing. And then I'd get to a place and I'd get some kind of a job just to feed myself. And then I'd just wait until the day when I'd wake up and I'd know, yeah, it's time to leave. I wouldn't leave that day, but, you know, in the next week or so, I'd pack up and say, where do I want to go now? I think I'll go to New Orleans. And getting on the road with the top down, looking at the sky, you know, just feeling like a bird. I mean, totally free, no plans, nobody expecting me, no timetable. It was wonderful.
1: Larry, that sounds heavenly. Yeah. And it sounds like the fruit don't fall too far from that dad tree (laughs) of getting in the car. Yeah, just
2: picking a direction.
1: And just picking a direction. So let's just talk a little bit about when you bought that red Corvette. What was (laughs) it like for you to go into the dealership and buy that
2: car? Well, I'll tell you an interesting thing. I was working uh, uh, for all those people out there who have ever worked for a multi-level marketing company. You know the, the thrill that goes in the early days when you, you think you're going to be rich and all of that sort of thing. And I was working for a company called Best Line Products on the side while I was working for G. And I really thought I was going to be making all the money in the world. And I could have any car that I wanted. And the car that always turned my skirt was Corvette. But then I thought, well, maybe I'm just thinking small. So I went and test drove a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, and a Maserati. And I ruled out the Ferrari and the Lamborghini because you can't keep them on the road. And this was going to be my everyday car. The Maserati was an amazing car. By the way, a Maserati in 1972 was the year I was looking at them. Um, You could buy, well, they only came tricked out. I mean, there was no options. A brand-new Maserati for $21,500. But you can't even buy a Ford Fiesta for that today, I don't think. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And um, ultimately, what I decided was it didn't excite me. It was an amazing car, but it didn't do for me what the Corvette did. So a new Corvette was $5,100. People are dying out there. It's $5,000 for a brand new Corvette. And so that's why I got that car.
1: And it was cherry red
2: cherry red, yeah, yeah, you
1: got in, put that top down, and boom, you were on That's your right. way, <laughs> yeah. so let me ask you this because you had been in the desert, coming back from your original trip with your buddy, Eddie, mm-hmm. and you had been through you were telling us how hot it was, <laughs> and you know rolling the windows up and being in an oven and rolling them down and being like in a sweat lodge, I guess. why did you end up in arizona
2: well i I went there. I, I was in Houston, Texas, and my next stop, I thought, you know, I've never experienced a commune and Arizona, right, for communes. That's what people thought in the 60s. So I got a copy of Mother Earth News, and I found this little article that a guy wrote, but he was in Oregon. And he was living in a communal situation. And I said, do you know anybody in Arizona? And he wrote back and he gave me some people's names. And it wasn't really a commune the way, you know, they didn't exist anymore in 1977. By that time, they were gone. But uh, but it was a group of people that I really liked. Um, They had some communal homes. It was actually a spiritual organization. And I actually the only stop that I had planned on this trip was the one after arizona i had a friend in las vegas and i asked her can i get a job as a dealer in las vegas blackjack not drugs yeah. and uh, so she said yeah no problem you come here you can live with me and my husband until you get settled uh, we'll get you into blackjack school and i'll get you a job at a downtown club It's the only spot i actually had planned it was all set up i never got there so i got to phoenix and i just fell in love with the area it was just it's beautiful uh it is hot in the summer but nobody goes out in the summer so the rest of the year is gorgeous
1: so you stayed there for the next 30 30 years. years larry perlman thank you so much for being on the show this is marilyn ball you're listening to speaking of travel my guest today is larry perlman larry's been around the block a few times Blue Ridge Motorcycling Magazine is a quarterly guide to the best rides and most interesting riders. Available in newsstands and at Blue Ridge Motorcycling magazine.com
4: Hi, this is Tina Kinsey with Asheville Regional Airport, and I have a travel tip for you today. Have you ever been to the airport and thought, why is this line taking so long? Security screening, boarding an aircraft? Well, The reality is that a lot of the efficiency can be improved if travelers understand how they can help that situation go more smoothly so remember that how you behave during screening and boarding of an aircraft can affect the efficiency of the travel experience for you and everyone around you be respectful of others understand what you need to do at the screening checkpoint before you enter the line be ready board the plane in the correct zone indicated on your boarding pass stow luggage near your seat as quickly as possible All of these things will help the travel experience go even more smoothly.
1: Office on Arlington Street, right near downtown, Appalachian Realty, helping people call Asheville home since 1979.
2: Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. And let me see what spring is like on a Jupiter.
1: Be sure to visit the Speaking of Travel website, that's net, and sign up for the Speaking of Travel Travel Club. In 2018, we're going to have some fun times, and a lot of those fun times are going to be with my good pal, Doc Lawrence, who's here with us today. Happy holidays, Doc. How are you doing?
5: Oh, with you, Marilyn, the season is bright. The whole world is covered with fluffy snow. Everything is white glorious and peaceful, and you made that possible. I can't thank you enough. We're doing fine, and uh, gee, I think I lost my passport. Wait a minute. I don't need a passport. You don't require one for your show. Uh, that's a great way, I think, to start uh, the new year and finish this old year. Uh, I think it's time Can we just go ahead and reveal that we have a new segment beginning in 2018. Speaking of travel, will now feature Gourmet Highway, with yours truly being hosted again by the best in the business, Maryland, And Maryland Ball does it better than anyone. And we will be visiting the great cities with the great food throughout the South and some other parts of the nation, from New Orleans to Asheville, to atlanta miami beach washington louisville and points everywhere in the lower 48 and how exciting that's going to be but today let's just talk about the meaning of the season this is peace this is celebration this is family this is friends this is sharing and this is a whole lot of love i couldn't be happier and i wish you maryland your staff and all those listeners that you have out there throughout the world to be with me today. I may not have enough Dom Pérignon to pour every flute for every person, but I'll give it a try. And we'll celebrate each other. We'll celebrate what we have, and we'll celebrate what we want our wonderful world to be in 2018. I've had so much fun being with you, so much fun sharing my escapades throughout the South, uh, since Chief Labor Day in 2018, really has me excited. I'm excited for speaking of travel. I'm excited and honored to work with you, Marilyn, once again. What an honor and privilege! And I'm so excited to be able to share some vignettes about the great places to eat, the great food to eat, the great wines and whiskies to drink, and whatever else makes the Gourmet Highway, an exciting venture for 2018.
1: Well, I look forward to that, Doc. Happy New Year to you, and we'll look forward to eating and drinking with you in the new year.
5: It's, we're going to do it together, and we're going to bring a lot of your listeners with us.
1: You got it. Thanks, Doc.
5: Thank you so much. bye I love you. bye
1: Larry Perlman, it is so great having you here in the studio today, and being the the you're wrapping up my year here i think this is so awesome because the the connection that we're having right now of hearing your story seeing how you've gone from corporate america to arizona living on a sort of commune right uh, it's just it's just such a nice story so tell us more about what happened during those 30 years that you were hanging out in the desert.
2: Well, thank you, Marilyn. You know, I was kind of expecting to see sand and palm trees in the studio here, but, um, you know, I'll have to actually go someplace to find those, I guess. Um, it was a transition for me those years because up until then, I never had any itch to travel outside the United States. I was so enamored of the diversity here. But when I was um, in my work during that 30 years in Phoenix with companies, I got to travel to places, mostly on trips that I would get because I was top salesperson, that kind of thing. You know, you get the President's Club trips. And so during the time, I went to Cabo San Lucas. I went to Hawaii a few times. Um, I went on uh, to the Caribbean, Mexico, St. Thomas, St. Croix, all those islands, the Bahamas, the Mediterranean, England, and a real interesting trip up the Rhine River. Um, We went through... You know, Germany, Switzerland, that sort of thing. But in Switzerland, we got there in a day. I checked into the hotel. We had a few hours. And the guy said, oh, you're here. We're in Zurich. You're here during the holiday. And I'm not going to get this right. I think it's pronounced Sessluten or something. It's some unpronounceable holiday. Maybe one of your listeners really knows what it's about. But I followed the parade. The whole town shuts down. And you go on this big parade to this park in the middle of town, and there's this huge wooden pyre that's got to be about 20 stories tall. And on top of it is a wooden snowman. And in the snowman's head, they tell me, is dynamite. I think it was maybe just fireworks. I don't know. And they have these beautiful white um, lippenhousers, I think they're called horses, that ride around the base of this thing so many times at a certain time. And then they light the pyre. And if the snowman's head blows up before six o'clock, then you're going to have a mild winter. It's Groundhog Day, but you've never seen such an amazing Groundhog Day in your life. So I was glad I was there on the right day to see that.
1: That is really amazing. (laughs) I love when people come and tell us about these experiences. And I mean, I never heard of that before. I hadn't either. <laughs> so, new things, new uh, international trips for you. You were able to really stretch yourself and get outside the not only the culture of our country and the people that you've met. And, you know, when you were talking earlier about traveling around our country and how you had this love affair with the United States of America, what was it like when you started meeting new cultures outside?
2: Well, it was fascinating for me. Like I said, I always thought the U.S. is so diverse that why would I go anyplace else? Everything is here somewhere. But then you get into Europe and you find the old churches and the old castles and things that you don't find here. You know, what we think of as old is like a few hundred years. And what they think of old is thousands of years. So that was fascinating. And then just, of course, the different cultures and starting to see that what we take for granted isn't necessarily right. It's just what we do and other people do things in a different way. So that was fascinating for me.
1: So it really opened your eyes up to a bigger worldview. Yeah. And what did you do with that worldview?
2: Well, You know, I always said I never worked a day in my life because I loved what I did. And I always said the day I don't love it, I'll quit. And that day came and I quit. I was 59 years old. And I thought, what do I do now? And uh, I ended up going into the Peace Corps at 60 because it takes a year to do the application. And went to Ghana for two years and lived in a little village um, with 5,000 people, so it wasn't a tiny village, but it was you know relatively small. Actually, I like to say 5,000 adults and 40 million children because that's the way it seemed. And talk about getting to learn a different culture. I mean I really think everybody, particularly when they're like teenagers or 20, should go and live in a third world country for an extended time, not just a week and really get some perspective on what life is about, what's important, and what are really first-world problems. You know, is it really a big deal that you can't get your Air Jordans? You know, you can only get the $50 pair of sneakers that your mother wants to buy. you. Um, it's just incredible to live in a different culture like that.
1: Well, Larry, having listened to your journey throughout your life and your travels and going from a cherry red Corvette <laughs> convertible and picking out the car of your dreams, to then, after traveling more, getting a broader worldview, starting to recognize, I would imagine, in your own self, um, a longing and a calling, perhaps, for um, service, you were drawn to the Peace Corps, and here you are now living in Africa. uh, not with a cherry red Corvette anymore, right? <laughs> no,
2: no, in fact, you couldn't drive to the, my village. You had to take a canoe. Uh, you could only take a car so far, and then you had to cross the river in a canoe. And then, so there were no cars in the village. Certainly, no Corvettes.
1: <laughs> well, Larry Perlman, you're here on Speaking of Travel. I. I am loving hearing these stories. Speaking of travel is uh, heard right here on News Radio 570 WWNC, 880 and 92.9 The Revolution.
0: Latino buying power is huge and rising fast. If you want to tap into this new market, then connect by advertising in Ola Carolina magazine. This glossy Spanish language magazine is published monthly and reaches over 70,000 Spanish-speaking residents in Western North Carolina. Ola Carolina magazine is about much more than just speaking Spanish. It's about Latino culture. Visit OlaCarolina.com and transform how you attract Engage and connect with Latino customers.
1: office on Arlington Street right near downtown Appalachian Realty helping people call Asheville home since 1979
0: As newcomers flocked to Asheville over the last 50 years they joined with locals to breathe new energy into the city Marilyn Ball traces the bonds of community that give rise to Asheville today in her book, The Rise of Asheville, an exceptional history of community building. It's available at Malaprops, Barnes & Noble, Loft on Broadway, and Amazon.com.
2: Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, let me see what spring is like on the
1: Follow speaking of travel on In Twitter. Words, That's hashtag speak travel oh to me. That's the number two. Speak travel to me. You can also follow speaking of travel on Facebook. So just Log on to Facebook and type in Speaking of Travel, and there you'll find past podcasts. You can also go to SpeakingofTravel.net, and there you can join the Speaking of Travel Travel Club. Well, my guest today, Larry Perlman. Larry, this has been so much fun having you on the show. I met you. It was so random. I love these random meetings. You know, you never know. That's why it's important to make eye contact with people, smile, I have to tell you a funny story. I was driving through a neighborhood here uh, just the other day, and my head was lost in the clouds. I was thinking about too many things. And sitting on the side of the the street were maybe four or five men just kind of hanging out. It was one of those really just a bunch of men hanging out in the middle of the day. And I had to slow down to stop at the stop sign. And I had my window down a little bit. And this one man yells out at me, smile. <laughs> and I was like, are you looking? Are you talking to me? And then I realized and he started la- They all started laughing. And I started laughing. It was just one of those moments of pure delight. Yeah. And that's how I felt when I met you. It was just one of those moments, you know, big smiles. Who are you? And boom, now here you are. Yeah. Yeah. What a great story. So, Larry, after you were in the Peace Corps, you spent, what, two
2: years? Well, 26 months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a little over two years.
1: And what were you doing there? What was your job there?
2: Well, I was um, asked to come there. Peace Corps only goes where they're invited. And I was asked to come there to help um, them develop tourism around the weaving industry. Deboya, the village I was in, was a weaving village. And they wove these smocks, which were the best in Ghana. And um, they wanted to develop tourism around it. So that's why I went. But what you find out in the Peace Corps, they tell you in the training, you'll probably spend maybe 60% of your working time on why you go there and the rest on whatever you want to do that they need doing. So I taught English at a... um, at a middle school and also at a vocational school. I worked with the farmers. I worked with the hairdressers. I worked with the tailors. I worked with the fishermen. So, yeah, I was quite a bit. In fact, I was – they made me a chief. And I kind of thought, oh, it's probably one of those things they do. Probably every Peace Corps volunteer gets made a chief. Well, out of the um, uh, 32 of us that went over there, I was the only one that was made a chief. And I think it was because of my white hair. You know, in other places outside the United States, they actually honor older people. And since I was 60 at the time, um, they thought that I would be wise and they would want me to be in the circle of chiefs. So that was an interesting experience being made an African chief. Then I found out later I was the only gunja was the tribe, the only white gunja chief ever.
1: That is a beautiful story, yeah, Larry. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. If I
2: want to, when I die, I can arrange to have my body sent over and I'll be buried in the chief's burial ground. <laughs> but I don't think I'll do that.
1: Yeah. So that must have had a huge impact for you. Was Was it hard when you say goodbye? Were you ready to come back and start a new chapter?
2: Yeah, I think I was ready to come back. I enjoyed the time over there and it was amazing to get to know another culture like that uh, and to gain some perspective But, yeah, I think I was ready to come back.
1: So what did you do when you came back?
2: Well, um, I have for the last 20 years of my life really what I call followed spirit or you might call it following intuition or just listening to life or whatever you want to call it. And so when I came back, I had I had known about this spiritual community that was in Colorado in the foothills of the Rockies in Loveland, Colorado, called Sunrise Ranch. It's really an amazing place. And it's been there since 1945. It is, among other things, an organic farm. It is a ranch. It's a conference center. It's it's a lot of things. And it is an actual community. At that time, it was 85 people living there. So I went there, and I lived there for uh, three years. And then it came to me that it was time to leave. But interestingly, it didn't come to me as to where to go. So I packed up the car. Um, I had been slimming down ever since getting ready for Ghana, or actually before that. When I left Colorado, I said, if it doesn't fit in my Subaru, I don't own it anymore. So I, I became a minimalist. And although I know minimalists, I would say, filling a whole car, that's way too much. And I took off. So since that time, that was January, February 2013, I had just been traveling, going where I thought I could be useful And doing some interesting things, traveling to Australia to work in a spiritual community there that a friend of mine was working in. And he said we really could use some help over here for a while. I did the same thing. Another friend of mine in South Africa, it's wonderful having friends all over the world. Uh, When I travel, I don't travel like most tourists. I travel usually to see somebody, not to go see what's there. And in South Africa, I went a, a couple of trips there. but One of them, my friend was working in a, a Buddhist um, um, retreat center, and and she said, "We need help over here. We need somebody to to work not not in the Buddhism part, but just to you know do the work on the ground and the kinds of things that need to be done to keep a center working." So I went over there for a while. That was fun. And I have a friend in Costa Rica. She does 13-day retreats, and, oh, for five years, I guess, I was working with her, helping her co-facilitate the retreats. So I would go down to Costa Rica for three or four months every year and do that, which was wonderful. So if anybody wants to spend 13 days in paradise in Costa Rica in February when it's actually cold in North Carolina, um, then you can look on my website, which is, by the way, Larry Perlman, and I spell Perlman, P-E-A-R-L-M-A-N, LarryPerlman.com, very simple, and there's a Costa Rica tab on there, and you can check on that, and it'll bring you to a link to her website, and you can see about the trip.
1: That sounds wonderful, and tell us a little bit about your book.
2: Well, the first book that I wrote, I actually was um, intending to write it when I did that trip across the U.S. when I was 27 years old, I think, and... I just thought it was going to be a travelogue. I was going to call it The Journey, and it was going to be about this trip. Well, I never wrote it, but I kept a journal. That's what I was going to write the book from. So when I was in the Peace Corps 40 years later, it hit me that I had the right topic, but the wrong book. It wasn't supposed to be about a travelogue from New Jersey to Arizona. It was supposed to be about life's journey. And so I wrote the book that uh, is called I, – I didn't call it The Journey. I called it um, uh, Journaling the Journey. And it's a book to help people kind of learn more about themselves. And then when I got back, after my time in Colorado, I wrote a book. Uh, also, I like the journey, you know, kind of a topic. So I wrote a book called A Journey to Bliss to try and help people really find what their passion is in life and to follow it.
1: Well, Larry, that's such an important part of uh, I think all of our goals these days is to learn how to live life uh, more simply mm-hmm. um, more lovingly and more blissfully, yeah, so can we order the book on your website? Is there a link or how do how does that work?
2: you know it's an i I need to put a link on there, but if you go there, it'll tell you how to, you can get it from Amazon. You can get it in ebook format. You can get it in paperback. If you're here in North Carolina, I'd be happy to sell it to you out of the back of my car and sign it for you. Um, and it's also available on several other sites. You know, if people are an Amazon people, you can get it at uh, Sony or Barnes & Noble or places like that.
1: So really, the the... The best thing to do is to go over to Larry's website. That's Larry Perlman, and that's pearl like a pearl. Exactly. I like that. <laughs> so that's LarryPerlman.com. dot com. You'll be able to find out so much more, and, um, you know, you can see pictures of Larry and and some of his adventures and what he's been through. Larry, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today and and helping wrap up, speaking of travel, for this year. Thank you. You know, what you talk about is the theme of my show, um, following a path of wonderment, wonderlust, um, going where your heart tells you it's time to go, opening up to new new ideas, you've done all of that.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you, Marilyn. Oh, I should, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the books are also available at Barnes & Noble in Nashville.
1: Oh, right in Nashville. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Larry. Have a wonderful holiday season. I want to have you back on next year. We can touch base again. You can give us some updates on what you've been doing. And have a happy new year.
2: I'd love that. Thank you, Marilyn. You too.
1: Thank you. This is Marilyn Ball. You've been listening to Speaking of Travel for another entire year. And now I want you to go out, make a wish. Think about what do I want in 2018? What is my dream? And dream big, people. Put those dreams way up there. Start to plan. Listen to some of the past podcasts. Get inspired. And remember... Don't postpone joy.